time when film criticism is as provocative as ever, Feelin' Film ventures to change the discussion from what we hate about a film to what we love about it. We judge more on emotional experience than technical merit, because every movie makes us feel something. Welcome everyone to episode 57 of the Feelin' Film Podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Aaron, and today we are flying into the danger zone for a discussion about Top Gun. With me, as always, for this grand endeavor, is my co-host and lifelong wingman, Patrick. What's up? But we've also called for backup, and joining us for the first time ever is very special guest Josh Larson from Film Swatting and also the Think Christian website. Josh, welcome aboard. We are extremely glad to have you for this one. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. This should be fun. So normally, uh, we usually drop into what we've been up to this week, but because we have an extra special guest, um, Josh, why don't you tell us a little bit about what's uh, what's up with you? Tell us about you know what you do for a living, and um, I, I hear there's a special project that is uh, is happening in the near future. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I figured that, you know, co-hosting Film Spotting along with Adam Kempinar and editing the Think Christian website wasn't quite enough. So about a year and a half ago, maybe two years ago, I, I took on a book project as well that sort of combines those two endeavors. And that's finally coming to fruition. So Movies Are Prayers is the name of the book, and that'll be out June 13. It was a really interesting project to work on and i'm glad to see it finally coming out the basic concept is you know it's pretty obvious there in the title but i'm trying to look at films that you normally wouldn't think of as being associated with religious meaning and categorizing them according to different types of prayer so how some films might function as a prayer of lament for example some films might function as a prayer of confession. I spend a lot of time on Hitchcock films in that chapter. <laughs> and also, you know, prayers of anger. So I get into Fight Club as a prayer of anger and Rebel Without a Cause as a prayer of anger. And it was this idea I had, wanted to play with. Um, IVP, University Press, got on board. And it was turned out to be pretty fruitful once I dug in and started looking at a whole variety of different films in this way. So I was grateful to get the chance to, to do that as a, as a project and, and have it coming out here next month. Wow. That's, that's pretty awesome. So is it, is it a solely Christian based, uh, faith wise, or is it, do you look at kind of a, a more broad view of religious belief in general? Yeah, that's a good question. It's founded out of my own experience. So my own Christian tradition. So that's primarily what I'm considering, especially when it comes to the different types of prayer, but it definitely nods to the whole jumping off point is basically the assumption that everyone prays, even though they don't necessarily use that term for it. But we all have uh, yearning, we have instinctual complaint, or the biblical term would be lament. We have praise, you know, we have days where we are, and this is often associated when we're out in nature, where we just express awe. Now, now as a Christian, you know, you're directing that to God, of course, but even those who wouldn't identify as Christian, those are things that are expressed to an unseen presence, an unnamed presence, and it's sort of this first step towards trying to make that connection. So I definitely nod to other traditions that have other religious traditions that also have prayer, but I'm specifically writing out of my own experience. That's awesome. What about, um, is there any, so how can people find the book once it does release in June? Yeah, it's available for pre-order now. So, okay. you know, at, at, uh, at the big place, it's at Amazon and, uh, you can also find it though. I know a lot of people are often asking about, um, you know, smaller bookstores, independent bookstores that, um, that they like to go to for their books. And so IVP will be distributing to those as well. So if you have one of those, you know, ask them about it and hopefully they'll be getting it too. Great. I think Patrick, did you already pick up a copy of this? Not yet. It's in my wish list. And, um, at some point I plan on picking it up. I just have to wait to get a little bit more extra cash. Great. Well, with that being said, I guess, uh, let's go ahead and move into the top gun, uh, review. So, you know, we like to give a, a quick warning, um, 
it's a little bit of a, a joke now for something like this because if you haven't seen Top Gun yet, then you're doing it wrong. Um, and <laughs> frankly, you deserve to be spoiled. But uh, we are going to talk about the film in completion. So if you haven't seen it yet and you, for some reason, don't want to be spoiled, then you should turn away now. Otherwise, come on for the ride. Um, Josh, one thing we do have to get out of the way before we dig into the film, though, is this little issue of your call sign. See, uh. pa- Yeah, yeah. See, Patrick and I grew up uh, loving this movie. I mean, we watched it all the time. Uh, childhood friends in, in both in Arkansas before I moved to Seattle. And we would refer to each other as Maverick and Goose, respectively. So that means that you have to pick a call sign. And I'm going to give you options. So you have to choose from this list. So you can be Merlin, Iceman, Slider, Jester, Viper, or if you really want to, you can be Charlie. Oh, so many great options. Now, first of all, who's Maverick and who's Goose again? I got to get that straight between Uh, the two of you. I am Maverick (laughs) and he is Goose. (laughs) <laughs> okay. All right. Good. Now, now I know everything I need to know about your relationship just, just by being told that. So thank you. That was helpful. I'm going to go with, uh, so, so on this revisit and we'll get, we'll get into this, I'm sure, but I don't think I've seen Top Gun in its entirety, maybe for 15 years or so. Um, and so it was really fresh to me and the guy I ended up liking quite a bit and we'll get into why is actually Iceman. I mean, I remember him as being the villain, the, the guy everyone hates. Uh-huh. But um, no, he's uh, he was pretty uh, pretty cool in this revisit. So so I'll go with Iceman. It's a solid choice. I think I think it was probably the the one that most of us would would go to at this point in our you know like in our grown up phase. Now maybe looking that's back it. On, yeah. yeah, looking back on, I think I think pretty much anything Val Kilmer's done, other than maybe Batman, we want to be like Val Kilmer. <laughs> um, well, that's where we want to start, really, is personal history. And um, Patrick, wh- why don't you kick it off? What were your – or what's your history other than the fact that you watched it a lot with me uh, as a child? <laughs> what, growing up, what did you do with, with Top Gun? Well, it, it was definitely worn out on our VCR. Uh, this is before the days of DVD. But I really got inspired. I have a really uh, just special relationship with my dad he and I watch a lot of, um, he introduced me to classic rock <laughs> and he introduced me to older movies that I didn't appreciate when I was younger. Top Gun for him was, as he would say, a stress reliever. It was probably at the time, the longest running theater film to date. Uh, this is before I think Titanic just blew it out of the water. I think it was in the theaters for almost a year. So this is before the days of dollar theaters and, you know, direct to, uh, you know, the digital world that we live in. And I asked him before we did the episode, uh, before we recorded, I said, um, I said, how many times did you see that? Cause I remember you saying you saw it a lot and he said he saw it once with his wife, with my mom. And then he saw it, I believe eight more times wow. uh, in, in the theater. And I remember talking to him about this and thinking, you know, what's so great about this movie. And so we popped it in and it was that relationship with him that I really, really uh, fell in love with it because I, I connect it not only to my relationship with you, Aaron, but but even more so with my relationship with my dad. Uh, movies like this, Tombstone, these are films that um, they are just very much uh, they're very masculine, obviously. And you know, it, it was it was such great exposure to to get me into the. I guess he wanted to expose me to highly quotable films, and so. As a uh, as a high school student, uh, junior high kid, I was exposed to this uh, through him, and and you and I got into it, and uh, we just sort of adapted those roles and embraced the personalities that uh, that reflected them. Which I mean, makes perfect sense. You know, I'm totally a goose. <laughs> yes, that's the yes you are. You you absolutely <laughs> no there's, doubt about there's, that. There's there's two O's, two O's in goose boys. <laughs> Okay, just letting you know. <laughs> well, Josh, I know you 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 said a little bit there about that you hadn't really revisited this in 15 years. How did it hold up for you? So I was really worried when I know we talked a while back about what films to do, and Top Gun was up there, and I I thought sure I'll, I'll do Top Gun because I've always wanted to revisit it. But once I started thinking about it more, and before I put the DVD back in, I started to get a little worried because. 
I was not, I came out when I was in middle school and I was not a fan of the film at that time. And by reputation, I sort of continued to dismiss it. And I know you guys like to be positive on Feel and Film. And I'm thinking, and I also knew that it was a, a favorite of both of you. I think I saw on Letterboxd, Aaron, you, you gave it this five out of five stars. Is that right? I, I, write, I, I rate emotionally. So you got you to gotta, you yeah, gotta know. know that when you're looking at them. <laughs> no, I know. And that's that's what I thought too is like, man, I'm going to, I don't want to come on here and like just uh, crush all the good feelings and be the grump on this positive podcast. So, but let me start with, you know, how it struck me as a kid. And, and obviously, I must have been a bit of a weird kid. But what it came across to me is that I was never into locker room culture, like in middle school age. And I played sports. Like, it, it wasn't like I was, you know, just completely sitting off on my own watching movies all day. I probably would have liked to do that. But I played sports. I, you know, I did that sort of stuff. Um, so I wasn't that opposed, but the worst thing to me about sports was, was when you would get a bunch of guys together and it would be a lot of macho posturing, it would be a lot of forced bravado and it'd be a lot of jokey homophobia. And what I just described top gun, you did. right? Yes, you did. <laughs> so That's totally so true. <laughs> when I saw it as a movie, I was like, oh man, like I get this after practice. I don't need this in a film. It just never clicked with me. And so that's why I didn't really revisit it again until, um, you know, I'm sure I saw a good chunk of it maybe at some point after college or that, but I, I just didn't really have the desire to go back into that world. So coming back to it now, I got to say, uh, I'm not giving it five out of five, <laughs> but <laughs> I, as you were suggesting, you know, what I mentioned Iceman is that more what I keyed into are the elements of, I mean, maybe maturity is too strong of a word to say, but but just recognizing that those elements are there in the film is something that I did connect with this time. And while there were some of those jokey locker room, that, that's certainly the predominant tone of the film. But I was surprised to find out that there is more going on here. Um, there's more in the characterization of someone like Iceman. There are uh, the filmmaking for another thing, which is something as a middle school kid, you don't pay that much attention to, but director Tony Scott pulls off some, some really accomplished filmmaking here, uh, which impressed me. And I think that this, though I wouldn't call the movie subversive in any way, I think it actually does undercut in an interesting way, this full on bravado that we think of Top Gun as having. And in a way, the Cruise, Tom Cruise persona that we associate with Top Gun, just enough that it made it an interesting revisit to me. And, and I'm happy to say I can now come out at least on the positive side of Top Gun uh, and, and not spoil the party here. That's awesome. Well, I, I'm very glad, um, absolutely, that you at least enjoyed it um, and, and had a decent time with it because – I was a little nervous too, <laughs> knowing your knowing your taste in film. Because um, as I guess I'll, I'll fanboy for quite, just a brief second, but you know, Patrick and I, when we created Feel and Film about a year ago, Film Spotting was the the first podcast that I'd ever listened to as far as films go. And so, oh wow, that's awesome! Yeah, so you guys, you and Adam were my, and it was you and Adam that that I was introduced to. It was before, was after you had come to the show. And okay. uh, when when I started listening, I immediately just fell in love. And so I, I downloaded like all of your back episodes and I was just I mean, I was I was obsessed and I would listen to them on just for weeks on end to catch up. And wow. um, it was just it was such a great experience because what you what you guys taught me is um, you have the type of conversations that, you know, if you don't have somebody local to have these with, you kind of have them with the podcaster. Right. So when sure, listening yeah. to you and Adam talk, it would be like I was in the car and I'd be talking back to you. You couldn't hear me, but I would. Um, and, <laughs> you know, nodding or whatever. And eventually, you know, we were able to to come together and realize, you know what, we, we do have time and we're, we can do this, too. Um, so anyway, knowing that and having a huge history with you, I, I was a little concerned <laughs> okay. um, about your take for, you know, like a big blockbuster type thing. Um, just it's not. Um, you know, usually they're just not very deep and they're not, they're not uh, narratively um, on par with a lot of the things that we love. So uh, yeah, that's good stuff. Well, you know, it's very similar to, for me as Patrick, you know, I grew up with this. It was very much a, my dad and I kind of movie. 
Um, I have a Navy background, so you probably don't know that. Patrick does. I was in the Navy for 15 and a half years. Oh, wow. Um, well, there you go. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, a large... Back, were you, are you a Top Gun recruit? Did you, like, was that a direct line? Because I, can... I know that was a phenomenon that happened. <laughs> no. Don't lie, Aaron. Do not lie. No, no, no. no. Do not lie. <laughs> No, no, no. Um, I uh, I was not anywhere in the aviation world, um, but my family has a history with the Navy, and um, okay, you know, so this was this was a, a very big player, you know, this and um, some of the sub movies, Hunt for Red October, and I think Tony Scott as well did Crimson Tide. Uh, so those films were huge for me growing up. Um, I I will say my claim to fame with Top Gun is that I did supervise uh, a fellow who went on after working for me as a yeoman. I was an administrative type. Uh, He went on and he is now a pilot. Um, And very much he is like the epitome of Maverick. He was telling me that in flight (laughs) school they reenacted Top Gun and he said that they voted on him to be Maverick. And I was like, yes, Josh. His name's Josh too. I was like, yeah, no no doubt. There's not a question about that. Um, So, you know, I kind of got a little tight of the air side. But I so after being in the Navy, this film has grown on me even more, just leaps mm. and bounds, um, because of the culture and um, because I have seen and known pilots in the Navy uh, who really represent exactly what we see on screen. And okay. you know, one of the the awesome kind of trivia notes about Top Gun is that they went to the Pentagon and they had to get approval on the script uh, in order to get funding to use some of the jets and shoot some of the scenes on the carrier and things like that. So the Pentagon had to sign off on this. I mean, it's, it's definitely got a very strong realism to it for that time period. And so those things on top of just the, the, the funness of the movie uh, really drew me into it. And on, you know, on recent rewatches, I like to do what I do with any movie when I'm rewatching. And I try to focus on different characters because when I was growing up, it was all about Maverick. You know, everybody wanted to be Maverick. Maverick's the cool sure. guy. But then you kind of try and watch it from Goose's perspective. And you see, well, what's, got, what's Goose got going on in his life? Or what's, what's Iceman, like you said, what's Iceman got going on in his life? You know, why is he there? And, and he has a story, too. He's not just there to be Maverick's foil. Um, mm-hmm. And when you do that, I think it's, it's neat because it can bring out more about the film. And it just gives you a reason to rewatch it, frankly, and, it, and not lose complete freshness of it. So... It's always been a favorite of mine. I've always dug it. I can put this soundtrack on at any time and just belt these songs uh, left, <laughs> you know, nonstop. I know them all by heart. Um, Kenny Loggins ruled the 80s. Oh, I mean, let's man. Just say that right now. I mean, it, is, it. it is so 80s. On, and, and, you know, the use of music is um, it's not just like wallpaper. Like th- there are such precise music cues in this. And uh, what does it take my breath away? Right. Is like the, the reprises of that. Um, they're very clever and specific about how to weave these these 80s hits in and out of the action. Oh, it's you're absolutely right, Josh. I mean, it's very intentional, which is which is a surprise because you'd you think with uh, with with an 80s movie, 80s music is going to be peppered throughout. But it's usually just going to be like. You know, you've seen the movie now. Listen to the soundtrack. But even from the opening music, you go to that really great anthem that bleeds into danger zone uh it, it was perfect you know because at the moment that danger zone started you know the f-14 tomcat was taken off from the from the aircraft carrier and i was like i'm in i am in guys <laughs> let's just do it uh it, it just the the music accented that that moment so so well for me and i, I just really enjoyed that well that whole opening is it's almost mythological the way scott films that you've got the the smoke coming off the aircraft carrier or fog or whatever it is that's that's kind of hiding the the guys guiding the pilots in and all the figures are pretty much in silhouette so they're more like these mythical figures you've got forget if it's like sunset or it's just sort of this this burnt umber sun in the background that it made me think of something from, and of course we would have these images being kids of the eighties already in our minds, but something from like star Wars, mm-hmm. um, or, or even an old, um, you know, an old Western, like an iconic Western is what this opening has. So yeah, that's the exact phrase Patrick that you used is like, I'm hooked. I'm in, I couldn't believe that the Navy and, and then, you know, the air force too, probably getting a recruitment bump just from that opening five minutes alone, you know, it just makes it, 
looks so romantic from a visual standpoint. So it's funny you mentioned that um, because it did actually serve as a huge recruiting tool. I mean, I mean, you're probably aware of that, but it, I mean, they said yeah. that um, recruiters mentioned, said that recruiting went up like 90%. Uh, 90% of people who had come in said that they had seen the film. Um, yeah, I believe they it. Were, they were impacted by it. So, I mean, you can see why the government would, would want to finance it. And then, of course, you know, I don't know what happened when they made Battleship because I sure wish that the government would have been involved in that one. Uh, <laughs> that, uh, that as a as a seagoing sailor, that that one did not do me any any favors. I won't I won't champion that. All right, yeah, I can't can't speak to that. Didn't see that one. Well, <laughs> you know, the government involvement too it raises the question of sure, it lends authenticity. Um, and, and that's, that's a bonus you, as you've attested to, not only can the average viewer feel that, but someone who knows that world recognizes that, but it also asks the question, is this propaganda? You know, has this movie kind of bled over from being a popcorn blockbuster to actual propaganda in its, um, championing of military, you know, the U.S. military. And, and that's the reputation it's kind of gotten. There's two reputations, right? There's the guilty pleasure of the 80s. And people are like, oh, yeah, I love Top Gun. You know, what? don't even question Top Gun. But then the other reputation is that it's this really militaristic, um, almost um, dangerously patriotic film. And that was one of the curious things I was asking myself in rewatching it is to what degree are those two reputations true? And, you know, knowing the government's involvement makes you think, well, um, you know, it, maybe this is just propaganda, but, but I think I found, like I said, just enough of these little, whether they came from Scott or whoever wove them in there, but just enough of this sort of questioning here and there that um, it, it doesn't work like as a complete propaganda project for me at least. Well, yeah, I don't think it does either. I think I think it's a very much a it's it's definitely a big long commercial in some ways, but at the same time, I didn't feel like I was there was enough about it that felt very Hollywood blockbustery and not very patriotic that mm -hmm. and and I was I mean, I, I'm not a military person. My dad was in the Navy, but he he didn't fly either. And uh which makes me think, wow, that's probably why he connected with it. But it it didn't it didn't to me feel like I didn't feel more American after watching it. I felt more like a man because it felt like, I think what you mentioned earlier, it felt like a, you know, a locker room movie because of all the, you know, the testosterone, all the, all the digs, the masculine digs at each other, um, which I thought were hilarious even now, but I never, it never dawned on me that this was some kind of way of, uh, of making me feel more like an American because I don't, it, it was, I don't know if it's ever about the Americans and Russians. I guess we assume that. But no, yeah, it's, yeah, I never saw it that way. I mean, they're there. It's definitely got a, a Cold War slant to it um, that, okay, we're supposed to – I think the point was that we're supposed to believe that these things are happening all the time, and we just don't know about them. That there are, are constantly these incidents where airspace is being uh, pushed up against by a, a foreign power, and there are these kind of – standoffs and, and games of chicken <laughs> in the skies but i i didn't right. i didn't feel patriotic either i i felt what you did patrick i felt macho <laughs> and i felt like you know i never remembered uh the volleyball scene being quite as uh you know homoerotic as as maybe i take it now i don't know why that is but we were talking in our facebook group about this before <laughs> before um before we did this episode and people kept bringing that scene up and i was like you guys are nuts. There's no, there's nothing, there's nothing gay about that scene. And then I rewatched it this time and, and, and it was like, not even, not even subtle. So, Oh yeah. Um, it's, it's like, you know, it's like the, the male version of what we get in the fast and furious movies, you know, where every race begins with these slow pans on all the women at the races. So, uh, it's, <laughs> it's definitely, definitely there. Yeah. Uh, but going back to what I think, you know, Patrick, when you describe it as being commercial more than anything, more than patriotic, yeah, that, that's what I found too. Like, it's definitely a commercial for this sort of lifestyle. And I, I agree. Like, I think patriotism is not what the movie is interested in. If anything, it's the, you know, the more vague concept of American individualism, you know, just wanting to celebrate that um, in this country, you make your own way by declaring you're the best, proving you're the best, and you can rise to the top on your own skills slash 
charm slash, you know, in Tom Cruise's case, grin, and and you'll you'll get to the top. So yeah, it it was a surprise to me how this was not as patriotic as maybe its reputation suggests. Well, it's interesting you mentioned that, Josh, because that leads into one of the topics I kind of wanted to discuss, and that is this idea that we have these two conflicting characters, Maverick and Iceman. Um, we have Maverick who's got this rebellious nature and is constantly the rule breaker. I mean, he's putting others' lives and careers in danger constantly. And then we have Iceman who is also extremely skilled at his job. He's a, a top-notch pilot, but very clearly a rule follower and by the book. And it makes me wonder, and you guys can jump in here, either one of you, but whose side, who do we want on our side? If we have to choose one, do we want the Maverick or do we want the Iceman? Well, hey, I'm Iceman, so I obviously want to be Iceman, right? So that, that's who I would go with. But it's so <laughs> funny that you guys point out that maybe that's because I'm seeing this as an adult now, and that's an adult perspective. And that would certainly, you know, explain why kids worshipped Maverick, that sort of rebellious streak and you know, I guess when I was that age, maybe neither appealed to me because I don't remember liking Iceman when I first saw it. I remember just thinking like he was the bully, too. So the whole thing was not for me. But yeah, now when you see it, it's definitely that sort of choice. And I guess the answer almost seems seems obvious, although, you know, I'm sure we'll get to Cruz's uh, performance. It's like Cruz here is just so in so much in full confidence, which is maybe his defining quality as an actor that you cannot resist. It's like even now you I just want to say I'm picking Maverick. I just want to pick Maverick because because <laughs> Cruz is just going yes. to make make you pick him. There's nothing you can do. What about you, Patrick? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm with you, Josh. And I think the fact is because early on when I watched this movie, um, I, I love watching films like this as an adult because there's so much more that you kind of discover about some depth of storytelling. Um, and, and that sounds kind of lame talking about a movie like Top Gun because it's a you know, it's a blockbuster. How much depth could it have? But it can. And I think that like you, I grew up thinking Maverick's the good guy. Uh, Iceman is just raining on his parade. He's just a jerk. He's just an egotistical whatever. I mean, here's a guy who wears sunglasses indoors. Uh, you know, what's the deal? <laughs> so, but... As an adult, in looking at their dynamic, uh, I'm, I'm really more 50-50. I mean, the, the responsible adult in me says, Iceman all the way. But to see what I would consider a, 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 a character arc in the form of Maverick through the course of um, seeing you know all the events that took place leading up to Goose's death, leading up to the moment where he's in the, in the air with... A, uh, a a very very tall uh, Tim Robbins who I don't know how you could fit in a cockpit like that but <laughs> yeah um, I, I think that uh, I would say Iceman at the beginning of the movie Maverick at the end because I think Maverick <laughs> I think he's always going to have that edge to him I mean he's called Maverick for goodness sake but I think now he has a lessons learned mentality that's going to be sort of a bonus for mm. for who he is as a as a pilot. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. You stole my answer, Patrick. I was going to actually make a, a joke about the circle and, and it's even, in the tra- <laughs> it's, it's even in the trailer. Did you see the circle, Josh, by the way? I haven't. No, good. No. Don't. Um, yeah, that's unfortunately, that's what I heard. Yeah. yeah. Stay away. Um, it's, um, there's, but in the trailer, Emma Watson's character may is being interviewed for her job and they ask, you know, Beatles and she says, you know, like early Paul, late Ringo or whatever. And that's what mm. I was going to say is, you know, Early Iceman, late Maverick, uh, mm-hmm. is the same way here, and uh, I think it you're you're spot on. It's because I'm older. It's because I've gone through these experiences, and now I want controlled. <laughs> I don't want rebellious. I want <laughs> I I like the rules. I know they exist for a reason. I know that safety is paramount. Um, and one thing that I really enjoy about the film, as opposed to the way that some blockbusters t- tend to go which is to let the narrative just, you know, get away from them. This does bring Cruz back to a place of learning. Like you said, Patrick, um, I had, I had written down the question, is he absolved of his essential crimes, his, his, you know, craziness that leads to these, these career threatening and these, you know, life threatening events. 
simply because of his heroics in the end, right? In a lot of movies, that's what we see. Oh, well, he, he saves the day, so it's okay. But I think because we have the scenes of him specifically not leaving his wingman, right? Mm-hmm. At the cost and the risk of his own life, it, it shows a growth in his character. And his character has an arc then that we can actually connect to and root for. Uh, beyond just the charisma of Tom Cruise, which, like you said, is is undeniable. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, the, I guess in retrospect that you know, it seems obvious and maybe it's just something as kids we, we don't notice the relative nuance of that. But really, you know, even though other movies do follow that trajectory of the hero who has to learn his lesson, I do think Top Gun stands out from a lot of 80s hero blockbusters and even bothering to nod that way and allowing this this main character not to be... I mean, you can very easily envision Top Gun, and this is the Top Gun of many of our memories, I think, where Maverick just powers all the way through and ends up humiliating Iceman in victory and and going on to win the day. You know, I think Mm -hmm. the very fact that he doesn't win top honors is an interesting detail. Like... He could even have a falling down, like a struggle after Goose's death, a doubting of his own talent. But that talent would still have to be recognized in an easy way, like winning the Top Gun honor. And just the fact that, you know, the movie pauses, takes that away from him, gives it to Iceman, um, I think does does mark it as something that means a little bit more here than it might in, in another blockbuster movie. Right. I think there are definitely I think it speaks to the value of stakes in a film where it's I don't want to say that the movie itself wraps up like a pretty bow, but it throws a little kink in that. And and that's something yeah. that I've appreciated as an adult is watching stories play out on the big screen that don't necessarily resolve. It's it's a topic that the 13 reasons why kind of addresses as a whole story um, as this long form storytelling. And I love films that do that because to, to me that feels risky it feels like because but what i've learned uh you know from listening to other podcasts and watching movies is that the last 10 minutes matter like because you remember the last 10 minutes I'm, i imagine mm-hmm. this is why marvel gives us like 15 in credits scenes in all their films oh, man. but um but i think that when you have a progression like this and you see a character like maverick not lose everything i mean he lost goose and yes it was very tragic but when, you know, he doesn't get everything back because he's learned his lesson, when he doesn't win the Top Gun trophy, we realize that there's more going on here than just winning. There's something mm-hmm. about uh, gaining gaining something and not just winning something. And uh, in some ways, I felt like it was a little too on the nose, you know, with, with uh, Viper saying, if you can't find someone to be real, you know, I'll fly with you. I, I kind of... Right. <laughs> what? Kinda, what? I kind of groaned at that a little <laughs> bit. You groaned? I cried. Uh-oh. I cried. <laughs> no, I didn't really cry, but we that don't is... always agree, Josh. It, this is, yeah, this is the magic of, of this podcast. We don't always agree. We Patrick stay positive. doesn't like Armageddon, for goodness sake. <laughs> hey, it's... don't start groaning during Top Gun, because I will tell you, it's a slippery slope. Pretty, pretty soon, <laughs> you're going you're gonna to you open that door there's there's a fair amount to groan about here so <laughs> <laughs> but but overall i felt like it was a very honest uh tale it didn't feel like it was a i mean it was a movie for sure but it didn't feel like your stereotypical let's wrap it up with a nice bow i think it had a little bit of a we did lose something we did lose more than we thought and and there's still some redemption there so that was good sure well josh you you are great, I guess, at segues probably from just so much experience. You unintentionally can do them, but you mentioned Fast and the Furious, and mm. I also kind of just wanted to talk a bit about the the idea of family in this movie because there are a lot of different families that I see in Top Gun. Um, obviously, Maverick is family-less. Uh, his dad is, is dead, and um, I don't know where his mom is. Does it tell us where his mom is? I don't think it does. I don't think we find out, no. Yeah, but he doesn't He doesn't have a family, right? So Goose is his kind of surrogate family. Um, and then we have the pilots as a family and how they're depicted. And it just gives us, I think, this idea of the impact, especially on Maverick, of, of your family and, and how it impacts who you become or how it influences who you choose to become, um, which, of course, is 
narrated there at the end by uh, Viper when he's explaining what happened with Maverick's dad and we kind of mm-hmm. okay connecting the dots this is you're just like Pete Mitchell <laughs> you're just like your father um, but I really latch on to the idea of family now watching this again um, and specifically the pilots for me maybe that's because of my military background and understanding that this is how these guys are so in my last duty station I worked uh, on a naval air station and a couple of my officers in charge of me were pilots. And this is how they are. Um, they are brash. They are cocky. And they will die for one another. Um, they are so close. And they have this unspoken bond between them. It's, it's, I loved your idea of locker room uh, or the Fast and the Furious even. It's, 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 like a, it's kind of a macho competition. But at the end of the day... They're always going to have each other's backs, and when they're, i.e., when they're in the air, right, facing Russian MIGs. At that point, mm-hmm. it's no longer about beating each other; it's about staying alive and protecting each other. And I just, I love seeing that in action because I think those are qualities that are are something that we should admire and and aspire to be like. Well, that's the positive flip side of the locker room subculture, right? Is that yeah, there's this other stuff that, you know, always bothered me as a kid. But but then there is the fact that it forms a real bond when I mean, you, you have to be sure there's bad locker rooms where people hate each other. But you also have to be tight in a sense to really get under each other's skin in the way that these guys do. And that speaks to what can be for people sort of a, a family dynamic going on in a locker room. And, you know, so for whatever reason, when I was a kid, that that wasn't the part that I experienced, but it's absolutely there. And I think, you know, Top Gun does capture that for sure. The, the family aspect that jumped out at me again, which never would have when I was in middle school, And, um, you know, watching the relationship between Cruz and Charlie and uh, having completely different thoughts about Kelly McGillis (laughs) is that it's really almost a mother-son dynamic in some aspects now looking at it as an adult. Um, Part of that is the age difference between them. Part of that is just the maturity difference in the characters. You know, she she has this – she's an engineer, right? Is that the – I think that's the title she has. Uh, uh, no, um, she's a civilian contractor. Civilian contractor, but I, but I, yeah. So she's yeah, she's basically like you know, the brainy element of this whole operation. Right. So there, there's this gap between them in ages that really struck me this time. And when you were talking too about the fact that Maverick is familyless, you have to wonder if that's not part of the appeal. Obviously, there's carnal appeal as well, and that's what the movie mostly plays up, right? But it reminded me, and maybe it's because I've just um, been so deep into Wes Anderson's Rushmore from revisiting it recently, but a little bit of the dynamics between Max, the student, and Rosemary, the teacher in that film, um, who are also having, you know, he sees her, yes, as a romantic figure he's pursuing, but also that's a character who's lost his mother. He very much has, there's a maternal appeal to Rosemary in that film too. And it struck me that there are, there's something similar going on here in Top Gun between Charlie and Maverick, which was interesting just in this whole notion of family. Yeah, yeah I, I, I agree. I think, I think what she does that I find very um, appealing is that she challenges him. Uh, there's a particular scene where I think they're in a briefing room and um, you know, as a, as a kid or even as a young adult watching this, I was going this particular scene, she's, she's being able to separate business from her personal life. But mm-hmm. she says she's, she's, I guess, dissecting the maneuver that he made. And she said, she said, fortunately this, this maneuver worked, but I think this was a lesson in what not to do. And, uh, I think, after that, one of the one of the great lines from I can't remember who it was, but it's like, you know that was a ballsy maneuver, you know best best maneuvering I've ever seen. But I think it takes a lot, and I think this is, it says a lot about her to be able to obviously be professional, but also be able to call him out and say, "Look, you are dangerous. Uh, I am yet another person who I care about you, and I care about you enough to say uh, I'm not going to stroke your ego, and I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you how it is." 
and again, that could be me just reading into it and she's just being a professional. But I think that when we see her later on uh, in the scene it's shortly after Goose dies and they're sitting in her, her, her vehicle and, and she says, you know, let me know if I can do anything. And, and he says, okay. Um, I mean, I think that she just has this sense of, of being, allowing him to be somewhat vulnerable with her. And there is a little motherly tone there uh, not much because you're right josh i mean they definitely play up the uh, the other part of it but um but yeah i think i think charlie is an interesting character because she's not a throwaway she's not just a love interest she has depth and um and, and i think that's just really really cool by the way why does charlie a civilian contractor get a call sign can you tell me that so, uh, Aaron? so i'm glad you asked that because i'm actually gonna drop some trivia on you about charlie <laughs> drop um, it like it's hot so she was a astrophysicist in the film, by the way, Josh. Ooh, um, wow. I don't know that they ever tell us that, but that's in my trivia notes, so I'm just going to believe it. Um, I'm sorry for insulting her and, and <laughs> suggesting she was only an Just engineer. an engineer, right? Um, so she is based on a character or person named Christine Fox. And um, Christine Fox was someone who worked at the Center for Naval Analysis, uh, which was across the street from Top Gun. And she was also a tall, leggy blonde. And so she actually was quoted as saying that they always knew she was coming because she would like to click her heels. Um, and so, so they actually they were originally going to make Charlie's character something different, like a groupie or a gymnast, which, oh my goodness, reading those two things, I am just so thankful that they did not wow. go right. But they met Christine during the, the sessions of, of, of getting information from the government, and they decided that was the person they wanted to base her off of. Um, Interesting is that Christine Fox, this this basis for the character, she actually went on uh, in December of 2013 to spend about four months serving as the acting U.S. Deputy Secretary of Defense, which made her the Defense Department's highest ever ranking female officer. So kind of a cool little tie in there and I and, and definitely a good choice uh, to go for her. But yeah, yeah when, it, when sure. it comes to call signs, Patrick. They don't have them. That's that's not realistic. Um, okay. so I was going to say, I need a call sign because I'm a civilian contractor. I need, you know, I need my That's true. Sign. You are a civilian contractor. Um, <laughs> other things, I mean, there's there's a lot of inaccuracies in this. I'm not going to lie. Uh, you know, even though the Pentagon bought off on it, we don't, uh, Top Gun classes wouldn't be held in a hangar. They'd be held in a classroom. Um, <laughs> there's one really cringeworthy scene where it pans across the class in the hangar, and they're all dressed differently with different uniforms and they're all their uniforms are not correct um different covers on which is what we call a hat um or like yeah, i think uh hollywood's wearing a, a cowboy hat chewing on a piece of straw or something um mm-hmm. and, you know and and it just none of that is accurate okay i can tell you from my leadership perspective in the military that was that would not fly. So um, <laughs> some of that stuff is embellished just a little bit for, for the big screen. Um, one other thing I wanted to mention before we kind of probably lead toward the connecting point time is I'm curious what you guys thought about this as a war movie. Did either of you ever think of Top Gun as a war movie? And to that point, was there enough quote-unquote war in the film, was there enough dogfighting, or should we have gotten more? Yeah, I don't think I would describe it as a war movie. I think uh, one of you had said, I forget, is is really the the Soviets are there to kind of be the test, right? That that's what they're there for is to be figures that our characters and our heroes can test themselves against. So you don't really, and maybe this is why we don't consider it like necessarily patriotic either, because it's not this force that they necessarily have to conquer. It's just this presence that's out there that provides that purpose. Um, I, I don't think I needed more dogfighting personally. I, I think if there was much more, I would start to zone out on it a little bit. That first dogfight in the opening sequence is really expertly staged by Tony Scott, the director. And so I appreciated that. You, It was so clear. You always knew who was in which plane, where the Soviet planes were and uh, that background that it's against, that glistening ocean. It's like, you know, I don't know if they were off California coast probably, but that's what it feels like. So it's beautiful as well. So I think that one was really well done. Um, The others are, you know, they're fine, 
but I don't think adding a couple of more would have added much to the film for me. Yeah, I agree, Josh. I think the uh, the amount of dogfight scenes, whether they were maneuvers that they were practicing at Top Gun or whether they were taking on the Russians, uh, whether they were sweating inside an aircraft carrier, I didn't know why they sweated so much in there, I guess. Oh, so much sweat in this movie. Yeah, I mean, it's just insane. terrible sweat. <laughs> but um, but I agree. I think, I think that there was just the right amount. And it, it left, it, for me, it left me just... It left just enough for me to go, man, I wish I just saw a little bit more. But like you, if I'd seen a little too much, it would have felt a little too over the top. Because what I think this does is it's a it's a, a family-driven movie with accents of military and, and fight scenes. And, and to me, that's good. I think that's what, um, in some ways, I think Fast and the Furious does in its later iterations, is it focuses on the family and the character development and then throws in some really great, you know, uh, car chases to mm. just accent everything. And I think Top Gun really kind of set that tone uh, early on in the film with that amazing, you're right, that amazing opening sequence that Tony Scott just said. I, I don't think I've ever, I, I've always been a fan of the uh, the uh, the F-16s and the F-A-18s. And so when you see kind of a, what I call the fat uh, fighter plane, the F-14 Tomcat, uh, be, look as cool as it does. Uh, that's pretty impressive to me. So hmm. I thought it was just enough for me. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you guys and in, in lockstep with that. I think I do think it is a war film, and the reason I say that is because you know this is during the well, it's meant to be kind of on the tail end of the Cold War time frame, and the fact is the, the realistic way that we depict in this film how we train to always be ready is something that I'm just familiar with. Um, Mm. I, I know what it's like to spend 10 years, you know, doing nothing but doing training. You know, I would go out on a six month deployment and we would just train. We would do exercises over and over and over. I was on a minesweeper, never actually went through a minefield. Not sure I would have wanted to, but we (laughs) pretended to a lot. And, and that's what this is showing. This is showing a, a world where, you know, there's a, an imminent threat of war. There's a constant threat that you have to always be prepared for. And so, you know, these characters are showing us how these pilots live their lives. I mean, they, they live on that edge. They have to. It doesn't matter if something happens or not. They have to be ready for it just in case it does. And so... I definitely do consider it a, a war film. I, I personally love the dogfighting scenes and would have loved uh, more of them, probably. But, uh, I mean, I'm also a guy who, who still likes Iron Eagle, too. So, I mean, I'll take all those. Yes, I'll sir. Take all... I love my Iron Eagle. I'll take I love all my Iron Eagle. Dead fighting. Jeppy! Oh, man. Um, well, Patrick, have I missed anything big that we need to uh, hit on? Or Josh, either one? Anything you guys had on your mind? Can, I mean, we can talk all night if you want. Uh, I just, this is, there's, I have a ton of notes. I don't want to go into all of them. These are just really like little, uh, just small little conversations I'm having in my head that I write down. But no, nothing major for me. All right. Well, Josh, did you get a chance to pick a connecting point, which is um, kind of our last little section that we go over? Yeah. Yeah. You did. Well, why don't you then, as our guest, lead off and give us what yours was? So I think the the scene that turned the key for me this time around was, and I had already detected that there was more to this than my memory, but really when it uh, came open was just a small, I think it might be three or four seconds, but it's after Goose's death and um, Iceman, it's in the locker room, another locker room scene, but Iceman comes up to Maverick and he just says, I'm sorry about Goose, you know? And it's not only that, Kilmer is so good in that moment, being able to negotiate this really difficult part in that he does have to be the adversary in a lot of ways, but for that ending to work, Kilmer's got to all the way along give hints that there's more to Iceman than that, okay? So he, he's he got to be somehow hinting that this guy's not just a bully, otherwise the ending is not going to work. Um, and this is the most crucial scene to do that. There's no reason... I- Iceman has to say that, um, and just the fact that he takes the time and also doesn't overplay it. You know, he he does. That's about as emotional as I suspect 
somebody's going to get, <laughs> especially with someone who has been his rival up until that point. Um, but I think that really stood out to me because, again, your average Hollywood blockbuster of this sort is not going to bother with that scene, right? They're, right. they're just going to say it's unnecessary. We have our dynamic at play already. Why mess with that? Um, let's leave it out. But for me, again, a couple of seconds that, that made a big difference. That's awesome. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I like that scene a, a bit. Just not even from what he said, but what he didn't say and the way in which he sort of hesitates because he doesn't yes. really know what to say. I and think it's not easy just, for him, right? It's, it's got, not, it, right. Yeah. And so to me, I think that shows a lot of vulnerability on his part. But at the end of the day, he's still a pilot. And, um, and I, that just says a lot about his character. Right, which is which is what's nice to see now watching it as an adult is the character, mm-hmm. the development, the actual those there's there's several of moments that are very much like that that just kind of we like to talk about them as moments of levity, right? That kind of just those mm. really brief pauses that let you go, "Oh, this is a real person that has feelings that hmm. that aren't, you know, just caricatures of of yeah. ideas." Um, well, I will go next. Uh, mine so mine was uh, pretty big deal for me this time around and and I connected very very much with it. It was after getting killed by Jester while going after Viper. So this is during one of the training sessions um the first one that Viper's in it's the great line with where you know they're like oh crap and and and, and he says how um uh, Maverick talks about how you know Viper's scared that they're there and he he leaves Hollywood as his wingman and he tells and and he goes after Viper and he gets Viper but I believe it they had gone below the hard deck and so they say it doesn't count right so they're sitting in the locker room after this fight is over and Je- um he's talking to Goose and it's right after Je- Jester has come in the locker room and kind of chided uh Maverick and Maverick's leaning up against a, a post and he says he says that was, you know, some of the the best flying I've ever seen in my life, but you broke the rules. And Maverick goes over and he sits down next to Goose in the locker room. And he says, "I was stupid. It'll never happen again." And Goose just nods to him and looks kind of away and says, "I know. I know, man." And this moment hit me so hard because it was very much the the brotherly sacrificial love between these two characters on display here. Goose knows very well that it will not be the last time. And I mean, I have to imagine Mavericks probably said these words, it'll never happen again, you know, a hundred times to Goose. Hmm. But Goose loves Maverick, he trusts him unconditionally, and he will always forgive his mistakes. And so I feel like it's just this beautiful relationship snapshot about Goose's selflessness. Um, and how he puts Maverick over himself. And I, and then because this scene happens directly before the next time they go up is when Goose's, Goose dies, it makes it that much more painful and meaningful um, when Maverick actually does change because I feel like he then is honoring Goose's belief that he's going to change, right? And so for me, it's just, it's it was really powerful and i and i it was it was strange to me it's one of my favorite parts about doing these connecting points is that it's very often not anything that i'm expecting it to be it's not the built up com- emotional climax or emotional moment that the filmmakers are kind of driving us toward it's something mm-hmm. completely opposite like what you picked josh and so yeah it was it was really good i had a, i had a very close second uh, but I think Patrick might have had something. Did you? Was yours close to my second one, Patrick? Um, it was no. I don't okay. Think so. Well, then I'm going to tell you maybe. my second one because it mattered to me too. And my second <laughs> well, one, maybe it was. And because so you, if you guys kind of made is, fun then of it, we'll, yeah. Okay. Which is it's the scene where he's talking to Viper, um, and Viper is telling him about his dad and how his dad died, and we get the fantastic kind of anthem playing in the back as they walk in the yard and it's just this great shot of them walking in the yard overlooking the Pacific Ocean and having been stationed on a Navy base for so long like I've been in this I've been in this world where this is exactly what housing looks like this is exactly what that shot would look like out with the ocean behind the housing Um, and I love that Viper gives him clear-cut options he says he says absolutely graduate or quit there's no in-between here he says 
that he's not going to make the decisions for Maverick, but he just gives him choices. And I think in doing that, he really pushes Maverick to finally own it. And to me, that's when he's able to unlock his potential. And so I really think of this moment as like the epitome of leadership, the way that Viper handles this moment, this critical moment in Maverick's life and career. He doesn't baby him. He tells him like it is. He puts the ownership on Maverick. And like we would expect of someone that is strong, Maverick responds to that uh, challenge with obviously going up with the team and saving the day and we get the ending we get. So those two things were really, really strong for me this time around. Very cool, man. Well, that yeah, you, you mentioned um, the, the soundtrack a couple times. I was, so I was just looking this up because I can remember it. Harold Faltermeyer, I guess, did that soundtrack or at least did some of these, uh, these numbers were, were thinking of uh, for the most part. So yeah, yeah. what did I'm looking at it now? He did uh, like, Beverly Hills cop, I believe. Yeah, a lot of stuff here in the 80s. Yeah, you're right. And so the Top Gun Anthem, uh, Mighty Wings. um, Yeah, so that's there you go. Well, Patrick, what about you? Um, Not when Goose died. I mean, that was that was (laughs) that was tough. (laughs) (laughs) No, I I actually like you. um, I echo what you say that I love the fact that looking for a connecting point in movies um, gives just gives you more depth into into finding out i don't know how to describe it it's like when you watch a movie there's the obvious choice and you and i can both fully admit that we try to find something that's not so obvious and and try not to cheat i mean if the obvious choice is the obvious choice and we go for it but for me one of the moments that that i loved um spoke to the the value of mav and goose's relationship early on and it's the uh it's the scene just after they uh, they take out Jester and they get you know yelled at and there's so much great comedy between that moment and the scene that I'm getting to. There's like I want some butts and all oh, the yeah. uh, just everything. <laughs> and you've got this this moment where Mav is sitting I guess in his apartment or his bar- his quarters and Goose comes in and he says um, you know he just basically cuts to the BS and just gets real vulnerable with them. He says. Uh, he says, "Man, I, I can't, I can't blow this. <laughs> I mean, I." Uh, he says, "Man, I gotta, I gotta have this. I mean, I've got a family. I don't know if he says I have a family, but he basically just owns up to, to Maverick. He says, I need you to step up. I can't have, I can't have us screwing up and going back.'" And Maverick responds by saying, "You're the only family I've got. I'm not gonna let you down." And in the big picture of things, he doesn't. I mean, he honors Goose's legacy by not only graduating, but um, battling through that last fight sequence. And I think for for me, knowing the whole picture, knowing the whole movie, knowing the everything that, that happens, that moment says so much about their relationship and how much they both care about each other in different ways. I mean, Mav knows how much Goose values him. Goose knows how much Mav values him. And I mean, it, it really shows the beginning stages of what we come to find out is a, just a really deep friendship beyond just being, um, you know, hokey and, you know, making bets about carnal knowledge of, of ladies in, uh, in bars, you know? So, uh, it, it gives, it gives weight to a movie that otherwise I think you wouldn't expect from a blockbuster. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I think it has several of those. Um, and that's what elevates it for me, uh, you know, overall above, some of the other 80s movies that we've revisited, 80s and 90s, the blockbusters that haven't resonated as well with me anymore because, you know, they don't have <laughs> those moments of, of deeper character. Yeah, they don't all hold up, do they? No, sadly, <laughs> sadly, they don't. <laughs> I'd like to think that they would, but unfortunately, yeah, age, age changes the lens that we see them through. Well, Josh, it's been awesome. Um, it's been great. I've been wanting to have you on forever, so I'm glad that you were able to make time for us. Um, before we go, why don't you tell anybody out there how they can get in touch with you and find your work, and one more time, let them know when uh, Movies or Prayers are, is coming out. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, guys. This this was fun. And uh, you can find me, you know, I, I'm on Twitter, Facebook, Letterboxd. Larson on Film is usually the handle, L-A-R-S-E-N. 
And uh, the podcast that you were so kind about, Aaron, is Film Spotting. So you can find that wherever you get podcasts. The website is thinkchristian.net, where we write about faith and culture. And Movies Are Prayers is the book. So June 13 is when that will be available. Thanks so much for, for letting me jump on with you guys. Yeah, our pleasure. Patrick, what about you? How can they get in touch with you? Well, you can find me at The Big Three, uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Shoeless Patch, S-H-O-E-L-E-S-S-P-A-T-C-H. You can also find me at my website, thisispatch.com, finding out more about me as a person. And if you want to check out more episodes or find out more about the the show itself, you can find out all that at our website at feelinfilm.com. Yeah, and if you'd like to catch up with me, you can find me as well um, through feelinfilm.com. We have a very active Facebook group. There's a link to it there and also in the show notes. That's where our day-to-day discussions happen. Uh, but I'm also very active on Twitter and on the show's Twitter. You can find me all over the place at Aaron L. White, A-A-R-O-N-E-L-W-H-I-T-E. Next week, uh, we will be covering our first ever TV series. We're not going to label it anything different, but this will be a very unique and special episode um, and probably pretty pretty powerful one. Uh, Patrick and I are going to be digging into the controversy uh, of 13 Reasons Why. Uh, we both have watched the series in its entirety and we have a lot to say and think there's a lot to talk about. So we're going to go ahead and cover that one next week. So come back for that and check out the backlog of the library if you are interested. Thanks for listening. And until next time, as we always like to say, stay positive and keep feeling filmed.